Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard, another, another day closer to college football. Got some football tomorrow night. I don't even know who's playing. I'm an SEC guy all the way. There was a time I could watch any college football game on. Didn't matter who it was. Like early in the year, it's like I'm just so happy to see football. I'll watch whoever. You know, it could be Bug Tessel Tech versus Wesley College, and I'll watch it. But, uh, you know, my time is a little um, more constrained in many respects. I'm a little more limited these days. But, uh, yeah, the reality of it is is that uh, when there's SEC football, and I try to tune in and watch, but uh, the reality of this situation is we're getting down to the end of the year. You know, we're seven games into our regular season slate, man. It feels like this thing just got started. We're seven games in, running out of opportunities to make a difference. I would be remiss in the opening of this show – if I didn't talk about Jolie Dunn, you know, word was uh, passed yesterday that the coach Dunn had passed away. And uh, he, here's the thing that I will offer to you. The, uh, I wanted to interview him a couple years ago for one of the books. I can't remember if it was Stark Villains or, or for Alpha Dogs. I think it was Stark Villain. 
And I reached out to some mutual friends and said, hey, you know, Steve, it's probably not the best of ideas. You know, Coach really not in a good position right now, not really healthy. He's kind of dealing with some things. And um, so I was kind of told to kind of wait it out, but I kind of got the feeling then that I would never get that opportunity. And I regret that. I really do. I really regret getting a chance to visit with Coach a little bit. I, I submit to you, Joe Lee Dunn is arguably the most popular coordinator that Mississippi State football has ever had, at least in the modern era. You know, you could go back, I guess, some maybe there were some popular coaches, you know, there in the 60s. I know in baseball, you know, we had Tom Army, and he was incredibly popular with our fans and, uh, and our students alike. But Joe Lee was kind of our identity, man. I mean, it's like Joe Lee put the teeth in the bulldog bite. You guys remember what it was like in the late 90s. And, you know, we were kind of limited at times offensively, but it was more fun to watch us play defense. And that's not necessarily a shot at the offense. It was we were so athletic and so aggressive and so innovative and so in your face defensively. Man, it was so much fun to watch because you just never expect us to get scored on. And Julie Dunn is the architect of those defenses. You know, he's the one that put together the 3-3-5, kind of running the stack six. He was the first guy to do it. And, of course, it's been a little more modernized to kind of attack spread offenses. But, you know, when Jolie was out there putting the nickel on the field – you know, they were just so quick to the spot. I mean, a lot of people were running two and one, one and two tight end sets or running a fullback, and you just had more athleticism on the field. And I heard Gene Stallings break it down one day. He goes, you know, here's the thing with Mississippi State. You know, they got 11, you got 11, one of yours is a quarterback. So they got a guy that can come every play. They got a guy that they can blitz every single play. And so you never know where that guy's coming from. Is it going to be the outside backer? Is it going to be the corner? Is it going to be the nickel? You know, you just never knew. And that's what made it so much fun. And so whenever we heard that Zach Arnett was coming back and that he ran, you know, a similar scheme and that uh, Rocky Long, of course, kind of a, a disciple of the Joe Lee Dunn tree, it kind of reminds us of all that stuff. And so it's really sad that he's passed away. And, of course, you know, with all the things that happened, you know, when Jackie and the end of his tenure here had to make some difficult changes, Joe Lee was one of them. But it doesn't change his legacy here. Now, I think everybody would tell you that Joe Lee's best years as a college football coach are right here in Starkville, Mississippi. The sockless wonder, Joe Lee Dunn. I can still see him on the sidelines, you know, with his hands out in front of like a book, you know, calling plays. And people used to say, well, you know, everybody's kind of picked up on his signals, and maybe they did. Maybe they did. But I know this, Joe Lee Dunn is a beloved figure in the maroon and white circles and was part of some of our greatest teams. So many great memories because of the Jolie Dunn defense. And, of course, you know, he had some great staff members as well that did a great job kind of recruiting and implementing his vision. But Jolie was the guy. And, of course, he came here, you know, after being the interim coach at Ole Miss. You know, they had all the things that happened up there. And, and uh, he was an interim guy, of course. They uh, had to make a coaching change in the summer due to some NCAA uh, issues. And, uh, Joe, and nobody expected Joe Lee to stay. I mean, that was, it was kind of – I guess it was kind of like a Matt Luke situation, but really what a Matt Luke situation probably should have been in many respects. You know, it's just that Joe Lee was just a guy to get him through the season. And so once we get him, you know, it was, it was beneficial for a lot of reasons because, number one, he was a great coordinator. But also, too, he kind of knew the lay of the land up there a little bit, you know, kind of knew how to recruit against them. And so he was – he was a valuable member of our staff. And I know there's some Ole Miss people who think a lot of Joe Lee Dunn, too, because Joe Lee was there 
you know, kind of doing his best to help them through a difficult situation. I think in many respects, Joe Lee Dunn's a guy that is widely respected in this state. You know, a lot of guys that coach on one side of this rivalry or another, they kind of become enemies, you know, and they stay that way. You know, it's just like, you know, like the fact that Terrell Buckley's up at Ole Miss, it kind of bothers me. I mean, the guy's from my hometown, you know. So I wish him well. I just don't wish them well. But I think everybody kind of wished Joe Lee Dunn well. Uh, and even after it was all said and done, I don't think there's anybody that looks back in hindsight and has any bitterness about Joe Lee. And that's that's the legacy to leave, isn't it? I mean, I mean honestly. I mean, of course, there are everybody. We all have enemies in some respects. I probably have more than most. But uh, but the reality of it is, is you know, Joe Lee Dunn passes away as a guy that um, you know that served a lot of people well, brought a lot of great memories to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, dies as a guy with fond remembrances that people look back at him and his time here and other places and say, you know what, we really like that guy. That's a lasting legacy. I love the fact that, uh, that one of the greatest quotes attributed to Joe League is, hey, when you blitz, somebody gets to play their fight song. And it's true. Either we're going to get them, they're going to get us. But, you know, the thing about Joe Lee, and I heard him speak years ago, and, and I, I want to say it was before the twenty. The 2002 Egg Bowl may have been 2001. But anyway, I heard him speak on the old, uh, you know, the rubber chicken tour they do in the summer. And Joe Lee made a comment. He goes, you know, here's our deal. He said, uh, we're, we're going to hit the quarterback. And in some games, you want to come out and you want to hit the quarterback the first time that he drops back, even if it costs you 15 yards. You want to go set the tone. We want to go hit the guy and let them know that it's going to be a fight. And I think that's what Mississippi State people really – gravitated to I think we like the fact that this is a guy here that you know what he knows a little bit more than maybe other people do and he's our guy and he brought some real toughness and a blue collar appeal to that defense you know it was more indicative I guess of who we think we are and so he gave us a little more bite and so Jolie thank you for that and our thoughts and prayers go out to your family and your players and all the people that you loved and had a chance to sow some seeds into their lives. And I was reading with a great interest, uh, Cornell Menifee. Let me see if I can't pull this up. Cornell Menifee and I are friends on Facebook. And um, he shared some things about Joe Lee today. And I don't think he would mind if I shared them with you because he put them out on a public forum. So let me, let me pull those things up and I'm going to share them with you. I think it's important. Uh, Cornell Menifee, of course, just a tremendous player for Mississippi State. Just a guy that, you know, again, one of those guys, too, that, um, you know, kind of a – there were so many stars on the team, you know, that maybe he didn't get the acclaim that maybe he deserved, you know. Uh, but the reality of it is, is we, it was, we were, he was a, a star on a star-studded defense. So here's one of the things that he shared, and I think it's outstanding. He goes, waking up to hear that Coach Dunn has passed – he might have called me every name but Cornell for about two years, but I love playing for him. I still remember him putting on tape the night before we played Arkansas in Little Rock. And he had about five minutes of me getting ragdolled for my sophomore year just out of the blue. After about two or three minutes of that, I'd seen enough. I think I cussed everybody in the room out, but I was so ready to play on Saturday I couldn't see straight. I was ready to hit anything in a white shirt that day. That's just pretty cool right there. That's a good story. He came, comes back a little bit later. He shares some pictures, you know, of he and Joe Lee. And, yeah, you know, all this stuff makes me sad. You know, it really does. It makes you think of a, of a simpler and happier time in many respects. And so, uh, so there's a picture of 
Joe Lee kind of having an animated conversation with Cornell, who wore number 40. And he says, hey, can you tell me who was supposed to blitz Peel 40? Not the conversation you wanted to be having with Joe Lee. When I saw those hands up, followed by get over here, I knew it was about to be a problem. LOL, rip coach. Pretty awesome, man. I'm so glad that we crossed paths with a guy like Joe Lee Dunn. I mean, honestly. I mean, there's just been so many coaches over the years that have come through here. And, you know, and, and, you know when you work in our profession, I mean, you establish some sense of a personal relationship with a lot of these people. And he's a guy that I wish that I would know better because of how much he means to all of us. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they all come through, and we all appreciate their contributions to Mississippi State sports. We do. We really do. Even if it doesn't work out, we appreciate, you know, the effort, and we appreciate, you know, the passion, the commitment, you know, to make Mississippi State better. We do. But Joe Lee did. Joe Lee did get it done. And, of course, we don't go to Atlanta without Joe Lee, not to mention that great 99 defense. I mean, it's just ridiculous the numbers that we put up and, you know, among the nation's leaders in most statistical categories. And I remember, you know, years ago before message boards were really a thing, there used to be, you know, a bulletin board with um, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution called Access Atlanta. And I know I'm dating myself. Many of you probably remember that. I remember Willie Blade's sister, Toriana, was pretty prolific over there. So they had Access Atlanta, and they had like an SEC hub. And then there was like, you know, a message board kind of for each team. And um, I remember specifically a South Carolina fan one day that came over to the Mississippi State board. He made a comment. He goes, man, I love to play opponents after they played Mississippi State. He said, because the injury report is long because Mississippi State brings the wood every Saturday. And that's the reputation we had. It's the reputation that we wanted. I think in many respects, we're kind of getting back to that. But Joe Lee Dunn was responsible for every bit of that. Joe Lee Dunn gave Mississippi State an identity within the Southeastern Conference. You did not want to play Mississippi State. You did not want to line up and have to deal with the, the madness of Joe Lee Dunn. You just didn't want to do it. And so I just wanted to take some time today to kind of share some remembrances of a great coach and a great man that uh, served this university and this football program well through some great years at Mississippi State. So if you have a connection to Julie Dunn today, my heart goes out to you. And uh, again, thoughts and prayers to his family. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Love those folks too, man. Love going in there. Yeah, I had a friend of mine reached out and said, hey, what should I get? And I said, you know, I don't think you can go wrong anyway. They have the salad. They messaged me back and said, that is the most substantial salad I have ever eaten in my life. And no, I didn't finish it. That's what it boils down to. I like eating fresh sometimes, too. You know, sometimes, you know, it's like I'm on the road a lot. And you guys are probably like me, too. You kind of live on the go. And like sometimes you get a little too much fast food. and You're like, oh, man, ugh, this don't feel good. And you want something fresh. That's what that BLT salad does for you. You go to Bulldog Burger Company and you have that BLT salad. You can get it grilled. You can get it fried. I love it. I've had it both ways. You will too. And it is very substantial with the portions, which that is kind of the, you know, par for the course at Bulldog Burger Company. You always get more than you pay for at Bulldog Burger Company. While everybody else is kind of cutting back portions, you know, and cutting their French fries in half. No, 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 no. Not at Bulldog Burger Company. You get your money's worth when you go to Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. That is a beautiful building too. And the brand new one, the baby, right there on Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by and check them out. Tell Ian Few that I said hello. Tell Ian, hey, 
Steve Robertson sent us in here. We just wanted to tell you hello. I like Ian a lot. He's a great guy. I've known that guy a long time. Got to know him through Bulldog Burger Company. The guy's a wonderful guy. Go check him out today. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. It'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Of course, get that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk about a few things that are making some people uncomfortable. How about that? Right? I mean, I'm not scared to shy away from difficult topics. And so let's talk a little bit about this IHL vaccine mandate. I'm not going to talk about vaccines. Okay? I'm not going to tell you whether you should get it, you should get it. Not my business. What you do is your business. And I've had people message me in the past, Steve, you need to be stronger about this. No, I don't. No, I don't. I love everybody. The vaccinated, the unvaccinated, the clean, the unclean. I, I, I love you all. And I'll never tell you how to behave. But a lot of people have been concerned about, you know, there's this IHL mandate that says that all university employees under the direction of the IHL have to be vaccinated. So people wonder, what does that mean? What does that mean for us, Steve? Well, I'm going to do my best to explain to you. So let me let me share with you the statement that was released by your university. Sid Salter, of course, penned this out. He is uh, kind of the Mississippi State scribe. Love Sid to death, man. The guy was a great writer. He still is. But he was a guy in the state of Mississippi, whether you like politics or not, you, you read Sid Salter's columns. But, uh, but Sid shares this statement a couple days ago. Mississippi State University is complying with a resolution passed today on October 25th by the Board of Trustees of State Institutions of Higher Learning related to President Joe Biden's Executive Order 14042. The IHL resolution requires all employees of Mississippi's public universities to be fully vaccinated by December 8th. It's, as mandated by the presidential order or obtain an approved exemption. Now, I don't know what the approved exemptions could be. That could be any number of things. It could be a medical issue. Don't, don't know. I absolutely don't. I'm not even going to speculate about that. But there are some exceptions. In a statement released after the Board of Trustees decision, Mississippi State President Mark Keenum said, Mississippi State University is governed by the Board of Trustees of State Institutions of Higher Learning as are all of our state's public universities. The board must comply with all state and federal laws and guidelines, including presidential executive orders from the White House. Therefore, the board's resolution today, October 25th, that mandates university employees in the state be fully vaccinated is the direct result of President Biden's executive order and its stipulation that federal contractors be vaccinated. As a National Science Foundation Top 100 Research University, Mississippi State has extensive contracts with the federal government and partnerships with many federal agencies that are affected by President Biden's order, MSU will comply with this directive from the Board of Trustees as we do with all of the board's guidance. We are beginning to process notifying employees that a federal vaccine requirement, as well as the exemptions available to them under the law for which they may be eligible. And again, I am not aware of what those exemptions may be. So what does that mean? Well, it sounds pretty cut and dry. You know, so, so the first thing that everybody, go, their, their minds go to as what about our football staff? Well, here I'll be honest with you. I don't know who's vaccinated and who's not. I, I don't know. That, that information is not made available to us and probably shouldn't be. And one could argue as well, they're state employees. We have a right to know. I, you know, I guess maybe you could make that, that, that situation. But since it's a health record, I don't know if you can get anywhere with that. But I don't know. Now, I would suspect and call it a somewhat educated guess. I would suspect that the overwhelming majority of your coaching staff is vaccinated I would suspect that now I know that the overwhelming majority of your football players are also reportedly vaccinated 
they're also not state-funded employees. You know, but do you remember we had all the deal beginning of the year where, you know, if you didn't meet the threshold or whatever, you know, there's all this stuff about if you if you get a certain threshold, then you don't have to deal with contract tracing, that sort of stuff. And so that's the whole deal. If you're vaccinated, you're not subject to contact tracing. But the reality of that is, is that, you know, that's that doesn't mean that you're exempt from from getting sick at some point. But the main thing on everybody's mind is well, what's going on with Mike Leach? Well, I'll be honest with you. My honest opinion, and this is just my opinion, just based on his behavior and based on what he did, I believe Coach is probably vaccinated. And, again, it's not, it's not my business and what happens in his personal life, but the fact that we cover Mississippi State, I know it's something that's on your mind. Because here's what I would go back to. You know, this summer, Coach traveled extensively internationally. He did. And there are a lot of – you know, guidelines that go along with that. You know, my daughter, Audrey, you know, traveled a good bit too during the summer. And I know that she had to have, um, you know, some COVID testing and that eventually you had to have proof of vaccine and that sort of stuff. And so, you know, I, I would suspect it may not be the issue that some people suggest it would be. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't expect this to be an issue for Mississippi State come December. I, I, I just don't. I don't. I don't expect this to be an issue at all. I know many of you are, maybe you're not wringing your hands about it yet. But as the message board chatter kind of ratchets up in the weeks ahead as we get closer to December 8th, there are going to be people out there, all oh, this is going to happen, and they're going to have to do this, and, and Mike Leach is going to have to leave. I don't believe any of that's true. I, I just I absolutely do not believe that that's going to be an issue for us. And so I, I'm telling you this now to kind of get out in front of this. And, again, I haven't talked to Mike about it. You know, Mike Leach has been very, very, very candid about if I was vaccinated, I wouldn't tell you. You know, I, I can't remember which one of our reporters asked that earlier in the year. But he goes, hey, you know, Coach, are you vaccinated or whatever? And he said, no, I, I mean, I'm, I, I have no comment on that. And if I was or I wasn't, I wouldn't tell you. And, again, it's his business. But I think there is an expectation among the fan base to say, hey, we don't want to have to make a coaching change. You know, we don't want to have to deal with all this. we got two years invested in this, and we're just beginning to kind of see – you know, some progress being made, the foundation's poured. So, let, you know, let's kind of get in a situation where we can start reaping the benefits of this, only to have to make a coaching change. Because everybody brings up the whole thing that happened at Washington State. You know, they, they just fired their football coach mid-year. And that, that that's weird to me, too. It's really weird to me that they couldn't work out some type of an extension to at least get through the season. I mean, why would you do that? Why would you put, you know, a state institution and one of their primary fundraisers in such a bad situation? You know, you, you, we, we couldn't wait six weeks to do that. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. But, again, it's not my business. I don't cover them. I don't have a vested interest in Washington State. But but that has been brought up. A lot of people say, well, you know. And here's the thing, too. That, that guy wasn't on Mike Leach's staff. He was in Hawaii. So there's not a connection between the two. The only correlation is the fact that the two of them actually were head coaches at Washington State. But a lot of people point to that and say, hey, that could be an issue. And so, again, I just tell you, you know, I don't expect this to be an issue. And that's really as far as I want to take it today. I don't expect it to be an issue. I know some people are going to – there are some people – there are some of you that are involved in the little smack groups between the state and Ole Miss fans. And, of course, they're going to have their sources and try to goad you and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just telling you, I don't think it's going to be an issue. And so I just want you to relax a little bit, enjoy college football season. And I'm confident there are going to be tons of legal challenges to all this between now and December 8th. And I just don't think any of that's going to involve Mike Leach. I just think it's all going to be okay. And if I didn't believe that, I would tell you. I think you guys know me well enough to know. If I was concerned about this, 
I would tell you. I'd say, guys, I'm really worried about this, and I think this is going to be an issue. And, and all of a sudden, that becomes another black cloud in the backdrop. You know, I just don't think, you know, based on observing Leach and, and the places that he's gone and the trips that he's taken in recent months, I just don't think it's going to be the issue. I just don't. And so let's move on from that. Because I wanted to share that because I know that's been, you know, a popular conversation as of late. I've had some people that have messaged me incessantly about this because they don't really want to make a coaching change. And they love Mississippi State. So it's like if we do make a coaching change, who are we going to get? You know, everybody relax. We're not going to have, we're not going to have a coaching change barring something totally unforeseen. And if we do, it ain't going to be because of something like this. You know, and so I just shared that with you because I think it's important. Let's go ahead and kind of get that out there. And number one, with Mike Leach's vaccination status is, is really not our business. But at the same time, too, he is our football coach, and there is an expectation for him to be here kind of moving forward. And so I just want to tell you this so you can relax and maybe take a deep breath, and let's just kind of get back on beating Kentucky. You don't, I don't think we should invest any emotional energy in any of this. Again, I just think everybody needs to relax a little bit and uh, kind of be, be optimistic and positive. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas 
Com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. All right. A couple other things that I want to talk about today. You know, we, we don't talk about injuries at Mississippi State. We don't. I know at some other schools they do. We don't, we don't talk about Mississippi State injuries. Um, you and I can talk about them, but the university's not going to talk about them. You know, when Jim Moorhead was here, he would give us, you know, a little information, but it was always more of a – well, he's got an upper body, a lower body, questionable, doubtful. You know, my, my attitude about that's always been, I just want to know who's out. You know, at the same time, too, if I'm coaching, I don't want you to know who's out. I might pull a Booby Miles with you. I might, have, I might have him dress and stand out there as a decoy on the sidelines, and you never know what I'm going to put him in. I'm going to make you prepare for him. Because I think if you, if you release that information, like, okay, well, he's not going to play. You know, but I might make you think that, this guy's going to play, and I'm going to practice somebody else, and we're going to put in some new wrinkles, and you're going to get out there and be totally unprepared. So I think you can use the injury report as a competitive advantage. I know a lot of people are frustrated. It's, I just want to know. Why, why do we really need to know? That's one thing that I get back to you all the time. If a guy's out for the year, we want to break the news. We want to share it with you. Even though it's bad news, it's newsworthy. But at the same time, too, it's like I, I begin to look at the, the, little, uh, the, the chess match behind the scenes – you know, with uh, with coaches. You know, it's like you put some things out there sometimes, you know, just for this very reason. You see, people forget when Mike Leach was at Oklahoma, they're walking off the field, and I can't remember which game it was, and he had somebody drop a play sheet. This left it out there. And the opponents got that, maybe in Oklahoma State. Well, they go grab it up, and they think, oh, my gosh, we've got their play sheet. So they go kind of change their defense, and they – get ready to go play Mike Leach in Oklahoma. And they're thinking, we know their plays. And they even had had the script of, like, what they were going to call, when they were going to call it. And, of course, they were completely unaware. And uh, the whole thing was a ruse that Mike Leach had put together. And so they got there and just absolutely jump on them. And the game is basically over. They were completely unprepared. And so if you don't think that Mike Leach would have a red herring out there, you're kind of kidding yourself a little bit. Um so here's the deal with Kentucky. Uh, I transcribed the Mark Stoops press conference uh, on Tuesday, and that's usually a feature we run on Tuesdays. We, you know, Leach, we got uh, Mondays with Mike, and so we kind of run all that stuff on Monday. I come back on Tuesday. Sometimes some of our coaches around the league, like Clark Lee of Vanderbilt, uh, he does his weekly presser on Tuesdays. But uh, with Mark Stoops did his on Monday. Uh, shared that on Gene's page. It is always a free article. If you're not reading Gene's page, what are you doing with life? Go to jeanspage.com, and uh, we have a ton of free content. If you want to see the VIP stuff, uh, you can jump on board there. Very, very inexpensive. You'd be glad you did. Join the discussion over at jeanspage.com. But uh, there are some injuries to report at Kentucky, and uh, Stoops, not really specific in a lot of the stuff. But uh, so Josh Ali is, you know, was their top returning wide receiver. He has missed the last two games. There is a possibility that he will play this week. Now, in Ali's absence, they have just taken that one wide receiver spot off the field, and they have run some more two tight end sets to kind of get the ground game going, kind of establish themselves a little bit. Now, what's interesting, too, is Isaiah Cummings, one of those two tight ends, is also injured. He got hurt in their last game uh, against the University of Georgia, and did not practice last week. And he is uh, probably a game-time decision this week. He was in a sling all week last week with an arm injury. And then they'll see how things go. Uh, Stoops said that's a kind of to-be-determined type deal, which tells me they'll just kind of see what he can do. Uh, 
So does that mean if Ali can play, that they go back to a one tight set? If Ali can't play, they stick with two. And so it gives you something else to think about. Again, kind of that little cat and mouse game. you got to prepare for all of it. Uh, Marquand McCall has also missed the last two weeks. He's a big drain plug in the middle. They believe he's going to try to give it a go this week. But Ali and McCall both are kind of like to be determined. Every bit of that. It's just kind of like, all right, let's just kind of see what happens as we move forward. But they're banged up a little bit. Now, their best pass rusher, Oxendine, torn meniscus out for the year. Uh, people keep asking about him, but when you have a torn meniscus and you have to have a surgical procedure, it's difficult to come back in the same year. Then that guy is a monster, an absolute monster. I'm glad we're not going to play him. And so, and I understand Tudor's another guy that's all banged up on the defensive line, and so it's like this is a banged up group kind of up front, and so if you lose your best defensive end, your best pass rusher, you lose your best interior defensive lineman, and even if he does play, he's not 100%, and then uh, apparently there's another guy that uh, is kind of working through some things too. You know, everybody's banged up this time of year, but it does sound like the Kentucky front has had some issues. Also, third-team running back Juton McLean also slowed with injury. And so, interesting things to share with you guys, and I think it's always important, you know, once we get that information to kind of share that with you, we're going to break down Kentucky after the top ten list. But I just kind of wanted to share with you some things that I learned uh, listening to the Stoops press conference. And, yeah, I like Mark Stoops. I really do. I mean, I don't think that Mark Stoops is a great coach, but he has done a great job at the University of Kentucky. I don't think there's any question. Now, they're an also-ran type team. In many respects, they're kind of a – a parallel program to us at times, like, hey, you, you get in a good ball game and every so often you break through and, and you get in a great Florida game and you feel good about life, but they've never really challenged for the East. This year has been one of their better teams. And we've had some of their good teams come in here and they have lost a lot of ball games. As mentioned on Monday's show, they have not won in Starkville since 2008. And it took a missed field goal and a missed extra point in order for them to do so. They beat us 14-13. And there's a story I'll share with you about that too, that – um and, you know, maybe we'll save that now. Guys. We'll have it just take now. Um, so, after we lose that ball game, you know, Greg Byrne was our athletic director at the time. And so, we lose the ball game and we're really up against it. It's going to be difficult for us to get ball eligible. And that Sunday, you know, Greg Byrne and some of the staffers are up at the Bryan Building. And that's back when the football staff still had offices in the Bryan Building before the Seal Junior Complex was built. Of course, you know, that, that happened once Dan Mullen got here. And so they look out the window, and, um, you know, football's not there. And it's like, well, what's the deal? You know, it's like, why are we the only ones walking around feeling bad about this? You know, we just lost a gut-wrenching ball game. It's really got us up against it. we got to sweep. we got to beat Arkansas and then go on the road and beat a really good Ole Miss team at their place to have a shot at being bowl eligible. And then there's nobody in the football office that morning. You know, and it's just, you know, it was kind of indicative of, of kind of the direction, the way things were going. You know, we'd had the good 2007 year and, and say in goods a relative term, considering what we had endured the rest of that decade. But that's just one of those things, too, that, you know, I'm a competitor, too. If I'd gotten beat like that, I would just say, you know what, I'm going to go figure out a way to beat Arkansas and we'll start game planning for Ole Miss because we got to win both of those two ball games. But, of course, it didn't work out the way we'd hoped. In many respects, it ended up being a good thing for Mississippi State because we brought in Dan Mullen, who ushered in a, a new feeling of winning that we had not seen in generations. Uh, but that was a ball game, too, that was really one that really changed the direction landscape of Mississippi State football. A lot of people point to that 2008 Egg Bowl and say that was it. But the first step down that path happened the Sunday after that 14-13 loss to Kentucky. 
that's what kind of got the conversation going. And then we go to Ole Miss and get absolutely shelled and didn't show up and didn't compete. And uh, I remember talking to a staff member, I won't say who, who was on the football staff at the time. Said after the 2008 Egg Bowl, the Greg Byrne, and I think Mike Nemeth and everybody was in there, and Byrne turned to all the staffers, all the administrators, and said, hey, let's give Coach some time with his team. And they said when everybody turned and walked out, he knew they were fired. He said because that had never happened before. That Greg Byrne had always kind of hung out in the locker room until everything was done, everything was packed up. And when they gave Coach some time with the team, and he said just the way that he said it, he knew that the goose was cooked. And so there you go. That's the story. So let's, uh, let's move ahead. Time for the top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. And that's Close, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. If you're looking to refinance your home, and a lot of people are, and maybe some of you haven't even considered that opportunity yet. So you know what? I don't want to mess with it. You know, got this, got that. You know, sometimes many of you are paying prime mortgage insurance. You know, they make you pay that until you've got 20% of the, of the equity built up in the home or 20% of it built, you know, you got 20% of your equity paid in whether you be with the down payment or whatever they make you pay that that money and basically you're just giving money away it's just a way for them to make money on you and you get nothing from it there's no benefit to you whatsoever to pay pmi insurance none the insurance is for them and you're paying the premium on it it's a racket you maybe have the opportunity to get out of that by refining your home which would lower your payments Maybe you've got some equity built up in the home. Maybe you got things to pay for. Maybe you've got a girl getting married in, in, in Trinidad and Tobago or something, and you got to pay for that. Dad, maybe you've got to get some debts you want to consolidate. Maybe you ran off a bunch of credit cards during the quarantine because you weren't able to work or perhaps business wasn't very good. Get your money to working for you. Get you out of that hole. Reach out to Blair at closeofblair.com. And if you mention the boneyard to him, and some of you have, and thanks for doing that because you're actually doing all of us a favor. You're letting Blair know that his advertisements work. You're also letting me know that because he always messages me and says, hey, got another loan today. Thanks to you. You know, truly thanks to you guys. But you mentioned to him that you heard about this ad on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. That's a big deal, man. There's a lot of fees that go along with buying a home, refining a home, adding a second mortgage, getting a HELOC, all that stuff. It's about a five to $600 value. So let me encourage you, when you talk to Blair, tell him that you're a Boneyard listener, and that'll save you some cash. Let me give you Blair's phone number, just between us girls, right? So Blair, good friend of mine, been in the business 21 years, top 1%, close ratio. You know what I'm talking about. The guy's a winner, and you want to do business with people that win because you want to win, right? So hit your wagon to the Blair Chandler Express by calling or texting today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And that's his personal cell number, guys. That's You're not going to sit behind a voicemail and have your call just kind of waiting and then flashing for three days and then, you know, some subprime lending loan officer gets back to you and it's like, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to call you. No, that's Blair's cell number, guys. That's a real deal. You've got an insider in the industry. And now you have direct access to him. Check him out today, closeofblair.com. All right, so Blair is a jam band guy. I know he's thinking he's getting all excited right now. Steve's going to play one of my lists. No, I'm not. I'm not. But next week, I'm going to try to do one of Blair's lists. Blair is – our music is different, and um, it is. I love the guy to death, but uh, I'm going to try to do one of his lists next week. He always says, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? He goes – and we had, a, we had a funny exchange last week. He texts me, and he goes, man, I'm going to get you – listening to some good music if it kills me 
And I said, well, you'll have to start listening to some first. Uh, so, thum, you know, that's my friends. But, um, yeah, I, I love Blair to death, man. And, uh, and so, anyway, so this, Blair will like this list, even though it's not one of his old jam bands, you know. We're going with one of the great bands of the 90s that, you know, kind of, they kind of like flew under the radar a little bit, and then ever sudden they would pop up and have a huge hit, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I love these guys. And they would kind of disappear for a while, then come back again. It's the band Live. We talked about them recently on the show. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do Live today. You guys love the 90s rock anyway. Those lists always kill, always. Now, I don't think that Live is going to catch Poison or Soundgarden or anything like that, but um, I think this will be a great list. Now, for me, we talked about first favorites and all that stuff. You know, I had heard, you know, Mental Jewelry, the first album, the first real album under the moniker live. But what's interesting is the, the album Throwing Copper. Uh, that's the one for me. You know, like a lot of people kind of got into Alice in Chains because of the Dirt album, which is an iconic record. Uh, this, you know, for me, Throwing Copper was the one that, that kind of allowed live to pass over from kind of an obscure band to more of a mainstream alternative rock band, which I know that's kind of an oxymoron, alternative and mainstream. But alternative rock was the mainstream in the early to mid-90s. So, so here is the top 10 live songs. Not live as in performed live, but the band live. Number 10, it's The Dolphins Cry. Like this song a lot. Ed decided to you know, cut all his hair off. But um, Dolphins Cry is a cool song. They've matured a little bit, I guess. But uh, lyrically, I think it's one of the better songs in the catalog. If, and when you listen to it, pay special attention to that. You know, there are some songs like you just get caught up in the guitar riff and the bass line. You know what they're saying. This is one you need to pay a little attention to. Number nine, this was a big hit. Big hit for them. One of the last big hits in many respects. And... Um, you know, they had a handful of albums that had come out and done pretty well. And this is where I really thought things kind of began to fade a little bit. You know, music was changing. And that's just kind of part of how, how life works for all of us. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you're good one day and the next day uh, you're kind of a has-been. And how great is it to be a has-been? Because I meant at one time that you were something rather than be a never was. But, you know, they had uh, mental jewelry and then, you know, throwing copper comes out. And things were great. And then Secret Samadhi comes out, and they got a little more, and I think maybe they, they kind of pushed away from the mainstream rock radio thing a bit. But the first single off the Secret Samadhi album was Lakini's Juice. It's it's very different for them, but I dig it so much. I love that guitar riff on it. The album is very eclectic in many respects, so it's very different. If you know Throwing Copper, Secret Samadhi is different than that. Uh, Dolphin's Cry also was off the uh, Distance to Hear album. Dude, that was um, the fourth album. We have another song off that album uh, coming up a little bit later in, in the show. Okay, and that was it's the next song. How about that? It's Run to the Water. I dig this one too. It's got a great build to it. It kind of starts out kind of slow and almost acoustic in many respects. It's got a great bed that kind of rolls you into the song. But Run to the Water, a great tune. And again, one, lyrically, I think one of their better tunes. And Ed is a great songwriter. I don't know if they always had the best hooks. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like there are just some bands out there. It's like you have no idea what they're singing about. But the song and the music is so good, you love it. You know, I think sometimes live struggled a little bit with having that great guitar hook, that great guitar riff that pulled people in and really was kind of dependent on the content of their lyrical content. So... 
Number seven, this is a song that has been on our top ten list before, and it's the song Turn My Head. And uh, love this one a lot. I think you will like it too. It is also off the Secret Samadhi album. I think it's a second single off of it. And it actually, I think, probably got a little more airplay because it is more rock radio-ish, where Lakinius Juice was a little more alternative, shall we say. Okay, so now we're getting to me. I think I think there is a debate about the second half of this list. I don't think there is any debate about the top six. Now, I have a deep cut at number six off the Throwing Copper album, and there have been times this has been my favorite live song. I love listening to this in the car. I love. I can just imagine him recording this live. It's different today, where you know you can overdub everything. It's a much different day and time today. But I can just see these guys in the studio. I love the video. I love how Ed hollers on this one late. Like when all of a sudden it's like they're just jamming and he feels it and just kind of yells. It's almost like a tantric scream. Um, but it's the song White Discussion. And this is one of those songs that they had never intended to be a single. Like they, I think they were pretty much done with that album cycle. But the album could just continue to sell. And they were, you know, part of some great tours out there. And so the fans kind of pushed this issue. Fans wanted to hear it live because it is such a cool song. And so they were getting kind of inundated with that. So eventually they released the song as a single. But it was just kind of like, again, the end of the album cycle. And so people were kind of like, oh, I I thought this is something brand new. It's not. But why discussion? An absolute banger off the Throwing Copper album. Number five. And there's um, there's a lot of Throwing Copper left in this list. There are a handful of albums. They'll look back at that era. Look, they're just like they're great from start to finish. You know, we can talk about Jim Blossom's new miserable experience. We can talk about this Wallace, Pet Your Friends. But this is one of them. You know, they didn't have the acclaim as, say, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. Uh, but this was a great album. Kind of like that Candlebox album. You know, you're, you know what I'm talking about. It's like there are just some albums you put them on and let them play. This is one of them. But uh, the first single off of the, um, and I may be wrong about the order on this, on about which, uh, which single was released, so let's just kind of move on from that. But it's a song, Selling the Drama. Selling the Drama, a great tune. And then number four, I'm almost positive this was the first single off the album, now that I think about it. It's All Over You. That was like their back. Because, you know, we saw them, you know, after the Metal Jewelry stuff that was on MTV and 120 Minutes and things like that. And all of a sudden, they were on the radio regularly. And you're like, hey, this my, maybe I need to go check out this new album. It's getting a lot of airplay. And that's how things happened back in those days. You didn't have Twitter or an Instagram account where you could kind of promote if you had something going on. Unless like, uh, you know, Rolling Stone or Hit Parader Magazine ran a feature on you, a lot of people had no idea what was coming out unless you just happened to walk by a sound shop and see Tide and he'd put it up on the ball on the wall. Hey, new releases coming soon. That's how it worked back then. I'm from the 1900s, kids. It was a lot different deal back then. But All Over You was killer. Number three, the one that started it all for them, Off Mental Jewelry. And this is a great song. And it's Pain Lies on the Riverside. Absolutely love this song. It's like when you begin to think about there are a lot of bands that kind of have a slow build and a slow burn. That's kind of how it was for them. But they hit the ground, man, with a shot. And that Pain Lies on the Riverside, it's like you hear it one time and you turn around and it's everywhere. I mean, we're hanging out at Tal's Dart Bar, shooting pool. It's on the it's on the PA. You know, you're riding to uh, to Cloverleaf Mall and then bang, it's on the radio. 
You pass somebody at a red light, they're listening to it. It's like this song went from being completely unknown to being everywhere. And it really opened up some doors for them. Again, Pain Lies on the Riverside, number two. Number three. So the last two, the second one actually has a real personal connection for me. Uh, I share with you guys during the Goo Goo Dolls list when, you know, back when MTV used to play music, I used to watch it regularly because I'm a music guy. So I would like watch MTV until it was time to watch football. And then I'd go back and watch MTV. That's what I did. That's what everybody did. And so when Audrey was born, the Goo Goo Dolls were on TV and the song Iris was played. And I've always said that's kind of like her Indian name. And so what's, and I, I can say that because my children are part Choctaw. So, um, but nevertheless, when Ani was born, the song that was on MTV at the moment of his birth was Lightning Crashes by Live. And uh, I've always told him that. The song's always had special meaning to me and to him. And it is something that I look back, and I'm really glad that uh, music was a part of all that. And uh, so there you go, Lightning Crashes. And it's so ironic, too, because, uh, you know, we had some difficulty having kids, man. We did in the beginning. And uh, I was just so grateful to be a dad and have a healthy child. And so... It was kind of a spiritual moment uh, for me and, uh, you know, for him too. And uh, I've learned so much in life by being a parent. You know what I'm saying? And and those of you that are parents, you understand, especially if your kids get a little bit older. You know, I think you learn that your legacy as a person and what you leave behind is your children. You know, it's like the wisdom that you impart and and the things that, that, that you share with them. But I have learned as much from being their dad as they've learned from me. I've learned a lot about life just by being a parent. And so I've been very, very fortunate, very blessed in many respects. But number one for me, and to me, it's not close. I know many of you will disagree, but to me, it's I alone. That is one of those songs. I can put it on at any time, and it doesn't matter what kind of mood I'm in, and it kind of takes me back. It takes me back to that moment. I remember being as a kid, man, just yelling this thing out in my living room, you know, about yeah, I mean, how many times have all we've been in these situations, you know, where it's like you, you know, you're starting a new relationship or whatever, and and uh, you just you, you're trying to get the other person to understand that your feelings are genuine and you're authentic and well intended in all things you do, and that you're not just some some dude, you know. That's what that song reminds me of. You know, I alone love you. That's what it's about. And at the end of the day, that's all there really is in life. Yeah, I wrote about this last night, and I want to spend a lot of time talking about this because I might get emotional. But uh, So we found out over the weekend that um, that our next-door neighbor died, uh, that I hadn't been in Rouge. There was a kid that uh, I remember the very first day we moved into our house there on Baton Rouge off Old Hammond Highway. Like the very first day, a kid comes over. You know, I got a kid, you know, whatever. And so this kid comes over. He's a couple years older than Ani. Well, they, they got to be buddies. I mean, that's what happens. You know, you grow up in a neighborhood, and the kids in the neighborhood become your friends. They ride bikes with you, and they spend the night. And man, this kid spent about 100 nights at my house over the years, you know. And, and uh, he was one of those kids, man, and just didn't have a lot going for him in life. He lived with his grandparents, and uh, you know, parents didn't have a lot to do with him. They had some issues of their own. And it reminded me a lot of myself, you know, because I was a kid that was pretty much raised with my grandparents until I was eight years old. Um, and so I saw a lot of myself in that. And uh, sadly, he died over the weekend of an overdose. And we haven't had a connection with him in a long time. But it's one of those things, too. It's like on a lot of levels, it's very, very disconcerting. You know, it reminds me, too, also how precious my recovery is, that I was raised under similar circumstances and things worked out totally different for me. And I think a lot of it had to do with the love that was around me. And, uh, and to see, you know, you know, your child, even though Ani's 26 years of age now, to see him lose one of his childhood friends, 
you know, it's, it's difficult. It really is. It's one of those things you look at and you want to shield your family from that as best you can, but you can't. We have such a, you know, drug addicted stuff happening around us every single day. And, and I'll share this with you. You know, I, I'm, I get the opportunity to speak to a lot of people about recovery and I'm very, very grateful to do it. I have a lot of people that have reached out to me and, you know, sometimes we talk and sometimes we don't, but I do my best to respond to everybody. And uh, I had some discussions this week with some people about it and, you know, it's like everybody's expecting a silver bullet. It's like, you know, well, there's a magical phrase that we can say, like abracadabra or something that will change everything. And at the, at the heart of all of it is love. Is everything you do has got to be centered in love. Because when you deal with addiction, there is the absence of love, and a lot of it is self-love. And then when you're an addict, you believe that nobody could love you or forgive you, that you're just so far gone. And you think, oh, well, that'll never happen to my kid or my spouse, whatever, but you're wrong. You know, it could absolutely happen to you. And so... It all has to start with love. It can't always start with, you're going to do what I tell you to do. You, everything's got to come from love. And uh, again, I, again, I don't want to sp- share all that time with you, but it's been, it's been an emotional couple days, you know, for me kind of navigating through all that stuff too, just because, you know, when, when you try to be an adult and you try to <clears throat> sow some seeds in a young person's life, you, you hope to see those things come to fruition and that they find somehow a better life than perhaps that, uh, that their parents gave them. And, um, that was kind of the case. You know, it's like we did the best we could, but in the end it wasn't enough. And that, that's something that we have to live with. All right, let's move along now. Let's take a longer look at Kentucky. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart.net, Campus Bookmart. You go by C Stand Demand, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely talented Susie. I will be there on Saturday before the ball game from eleven to three. If you want to come by and say hello, get some books signed, talk about the football game, we can do that. And you can see uh, Susie up close and personal. Also of note, if you can't make it to town or perhaps uh, game day shopping is not really something that you're interested in, you can visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet at www.campusbookmart.net. And let me encourage you to use that, too, because I believe in shopping local. I know it's easy to go, you know, to go deal with Fanatics or Amazon or whatever or even get stuff on eBay. It doesn't work out well a lot of times. Deal with people that know what Maroon looks like. It's Campus Bookmart. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. So again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. Let's talk Kentucky. You guys ought to be familiar with them. We play them every single year. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? It's like we, we absolutely are going to see Kentucky every year. Uh, six and one on the year. They opened the year with the 45-10 win over Louisiana Monroe. 35-28 winners at home at Kroger Field over Missouri. Really, really close ball game. Kentucky got ahead early, and Missouri just couldn't dig themselves out of the hole. They survive a scare to UT Chattanooga at home, 28-23. Of course, it took a pick six, put that game away. And then a 16-10 win at South Carolina. And then a 2013 win over Florida. And you recall they had to block a field goal and return that really provided the margin of victory there. And then they, they just drill Louisiana State, 42-21. They finally lose two weeks ago to Georgia 13, excuse me, 30-13. to 13. So it has been a good year, and it has been a better year than I expected because I'll be honest with you, I thought they would lose to Missouri, Florida, and LSU. I did, but they haven't. Now, they have not been flashy. You know, really there's only been a couple of games they've really, you know, put some things together offensively, and that was against LSU, who was really beat up and basically had quit. So what a mess LSU is, right? 
But outside of that, you know, this is a team that has some confidence. They're thinking, you know, hey, we can win the slugfest. We can win the grinded-out game. We can make these things happen. So let's get a little closer look at them. Uh, Kentucky averaging 28.43 points a ball game. Averaging, giving up right at 20. Just over 19 points a game. Pretty interesting. And, of course, when you begin to kind of work that through, the, you know, the math certainly favors them. And some of it's skewed by the fact that they, you know, they played Louisiana Monroe. But uh, they're a grinded-out type team for sure. They're not a team that blows a lot of people out. The LSU game kind of is the outlier there. Uh, on, they have been a pretty balanced offense. 70 rushing first downs, 64 passing, and 11 of them by penalty. Pretty balanced. Now, what's interesting, they've been pretty salty against a run. They've allowed just 43 first downs on the ground, but 75 through the air. And I don't know if you know this, we like to throw the football. We do. They have run for 1,457 yards. And I guess when it's when the net, the net is 1,336. From 1,336 yards, they've allowed 834. On the passing side of things, this is kind of interesting. Now, granted, they've been ahead in some ball games. Some teams have had to kind of play from behind. So, you know, they're going to throw the ball a little bit more. But uh, Kentucky, eight, 184, this is really weird how they have this thing set up. 123 of 184 uh, with six interceptions, 13 touchdowns. The net is 1,378 yards passing. On the other side of things, 143 to 222. So, they completed – opponents have completed a pretty good clip and only threw the three picks – Opponents are throwing for more yardage, 201 to 196, and also the net yards to date through the air. Kentucky's allowed 1,412. So they've given up more yards throwing than they've generated by their own offense. That's just kind of a point to ponder. Now, what's interesting, too, you're kind of looking at how these things play out. You know, Kentucky is one of those teams, too. It seems like they get a little separation because of the running game. They can kind of shorten the game on you a little bit. That's what State has to avoid. Got to make sure that we're doing a good job with that in every respect. Um, getting a little deeper here, like the uh, – and we'll get into some kicking numbers. We talked about that last week with Vanderbilt, that Tulu would get a chance to bring one out. And he, and he did get the one out to the 35. Didn't have, you know, the great big return. But we did have a chance to utilize him more as a weapon. Uh, opponents, eight of nine in field goal attempts against Kentucky. The one miss was the block. Kentucky – uh, four of six on the year. So if it comes down to a field goal, maybe that factors in. I don't know. They have not attempted an onside kick on the year. They're a team, too, that uh, has not been heavily penalized. Just 37 yards uh, per game penalty-wise. So that'll be rather interesting to kind of see how that plays out, too. We've got to be more disciplined. We are a team that commits a lot of penalties. We've got to do better. Third down offensively, they're com- completing, converting at a 45.68 clip and then uh, 50% on third down. They have fumbled 15 times. That's pretty crazy to think about, right? They fumbled 15 times, recovered nine of them. So they've lost just six. But they're putting the ball on the ground. They've allowed 14 sacks and they've generated 13. And then those are decent numbers at this point. You know, and we're going to give up more sacks because we throw up more than, than everybody else. But um, very interesting when they get in the red zone, they score 23 or 26 on the year. Uh, 20 of those have been touchdowns. So that's interesting. Now, what's inter- on the flip side of it is when you get in the red zone on them, you score two, 18 of 19. 
13 of those 18 touchdowns. So they are susceptible to giving up some points in the red zone if you can get there. If you can get there. All right, let's look at some individual numbers. So Cavassier Smoke, it seems like we have avoided him every year, it seems. You know, it's like we either, we, we either he doesn't play or he does play and he's not 100%. Uh, he's expected to play. And, and a really good player, too. Chris Rodriguez, though, is the kind of the straw that stirs the drink up there. 127 carries for 781 yards. And in all those 127 carries, he's lost six yards. It's a guy that runs with a forward lean. I like this kid. He doesn't get enough hype. This guy can really play. We're going to have to stop him to win the football game. Five touchdowns on the year, averaging 6.1 yards a carry, 110 yards per game, nearly 111. Uh, Smoke, again, great compliment back, and uh, 50 carries for him on the year with a net of 277. Got one touchdown, averaging just under 40 yards per game. Uh, I mentioned Juton McLean earlier. He's only played in three games this year. Kind of like, in many respects, like a J.J. Jernigan. Just, I mean, he gets some some carries, but not a whole lot. Wondell Robinson is a guy they utilize, too, in the running game. He is uh, arguably their most explosive receiver when Josh Ali is uh, is on the shelf. Wondell Robinson's having a good year for them. Uh, five carries for him, 84 yards. 64 is the long there. They like to bring him some on the, uh, the little jet sweeps and that sort of stuff. So – uh, Will Levis is a guy, and I talked to uh, Chrissy Freud about him yesterday. You guys know Chrissy from SI. She uh, really, really, really keeps up with quarterbacks. And so I asked her a little bit about Will, and I said, you know, I don't really know a lot about him other than he came from Penn State. And we played the lion position, as she explained to me, which is exactly the same role that Tommy Stevens played at Penn State, which, of course, kind of necessitated his transfer. He wanted to be the quarterback. And so that's what Will is, and so he is a guy that can and will run the football. Got 175 yards this year on 50 carries and three touchdowns. Averaging just three and a half yards a carry, a long of 33. But is maybe not a plus runner, but he's also a guy that you can dial up some stuff for. That you can run some plays through him, some design quarterback runs. Uh, on the year, there have been 123 passes thrown for Kentucky, and Levis has thrown 119 of them. He's taken just about every snap. There's only one game in this year that uh, they got the backup quarterback in, and that's Bo Allen. But uh, Will, seven games played, uh, 119 of 177, six interceptions, 13 touchdowns. We touched on that, 67% completion percentage, averaging right at 190 yards per game. So who are his targets of choice, Steve? Well, Wondell Robinson, we knew we expected a big year from him and Josh Ali, and, of course, Josh has been on the shelf a little bit. Uh, even though Josh Ali hadn't played the last two ball games, he's still second on the team and catches with 17. But Wondell Robinson, 49 grabs, 566 yards, five touchdowns. And maybe some of that, too, is a byproduct of Josh Ali because everybody knew that Josh is a guy that's very explosive. But they're scheming some things up, and they're getting Wondell involved and uh, averaging right at 80 yards a game. Pretty good numbers. There are only five players on the team that have double-digit receptions, which is in stark contrast to us. I mentioned Isaiah Cummings earlier as a guy that mispracticed as the secondary tight end. He's got six catches himself, and one of those being a touchdown. And so, interesting to say the least. But number one and number six, that's Robinson and Ali. Those are the receivers to watch. And I think we match up pretty well with those guys. They will likely move some things around to kind of get them paired up on a safety at times. But uh, I think we are good enough at the nickel and at the corner position to run with these guys. But I think Wondell Robinson's had a breakout year. 
And is a guy because you got to figure even if Ali plays, he's not going to be 100 percent, right? Even if he plays, he's not going to be 100 percent. But Wondell Robinson, number one, is a is a real dude. He's a guy that um, if you miss a tackle with him, it's a touchdown. 5'11", 185, guy that really does some some great things with the ball in his hands. And Josh Ali, you know, has had a really good year this year, but um, just you know has not been healthy. Not the biggest guy, you know, six foot, uh, around 200 pounds. So they're you know they're one of those quick rather than fast type groups. You know, they're just they've got some guys that can get in space and get open. How we defense them will be awfully interesting. We'll look at some defensive numbers, and I want to go back and look at last year's game for just a few minutes. Uh, DeAndre Square, it seems like he has been at Kentucky forever. And maybe it's just me, but that guy has been one of the better linebackers in this league for an extended period of time. He leads him in tackles again this year with 49. Seven and a half TFLs, three sacks, which, believe it or not, is second on the team. And this is a team that doesn't get a lot of sacks. Uh, J.J. Weaver, three and a half sacks on the year, leads the squad. J.J. Weaver wears number 13, another outside linebacker. They're very active linebacker groups, and that's kind of what we've learned to expect with uh, with Mark Stoops. Uh, Jack West John, the former Ole Miss Rebel, having a big year for him too, 46 tackles for them, two of those for a loss, four pass breakups, three quarterback hurries, and again, an athletic linebacker group for sure. Going to see some delayed blitz. Going to see some stunts. They're going to try to get those backers into the backfield to disrupt things. Uh, Yusef Corker is another guy, too, that's having a pretty good year for him. 40 tackles for them. Uh, safety out of McDonough, Georgia. Kentucky always seems to do well in Georgia. They always seem to do a good job kind of recruiting that that area. So that's kind of where things sit right now. We mentioned Octavius Ox and Don. Uh, Three and a half sacks, excuse me, three and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, played just six games, but um, not expected to play, you know, this week. And so we'll see how things progress. But I did want to go back and look at last year's game. I know we don't want to, but we're going to. It was painful to sit there and watch that, you know, because it's like you feel like we're the better team. And I still contend to you we were. We didn't play it. We didn't play like it. We had more talent. You know, Kentucky finishes the year five and six last year, and uh, I would venture to say that, you know, the win over us and win over Tennessee probably to highlight our season. But let's go back and look at this because I just I want to look at these numbers again because I think it's important. It was a nothing nothing ball game after one, and it seemed like neither team could kind of get things going. You know, I go back and I look at some of these numbers. You know, it's like they get their first drive together and then end up punting, and we're at the five. It's like we fought field position all night long. <clears throat> we get nothing done on the first drive. Come back again. We get a stop, and then they're punt again, and we're down at the 11. So, again, we're backed up in our own territory. Tucker Day gets a nice punt for us. So, we flip the field finally late in the first quarter. We think, okay, we're good to go. And then we give up a couple first down. I guess we give up a first down. And then they get off like a 57-yard punt and kind of take it back. Austin Williams brings it back out there and then gets it out to the 38. You're thinking, okay, we got a shot here. We put together a great drive to end the quarter. We get to the Kentucky side of the field. And, again, defensively, we played pretty well. We finally kind of gotten out of the shadow of our own goalpost. We end up missing the field goal, a 56-yarder. 
Kentucky takes over. And it's, it's crazy. They're doing absolutely nothing offensively. On this drive, we get Rodriguez for three. There's a sack. And the next thing you know, Terry Wilson on third and 13, we lose contain, and he runs 51 yards down to the 14. I mean, they're getting ready to punt. And then Terry Wilson gets loose, and then it leads to a touchdown for them. And you're thinking, okay, we're going to be all right. We're good. Everything's going to be okay. It was fluky type thing. You know, we made a mistake. We put together another nice drive and end up having a punt. You know, and this is – Tucker Day gets hurt in the ball game. Reed Bowman has to take over. But, you know, we put together a decent drive and uh, just felt like, you know, we weren't going to be able to, to put the ball in the end zone and we end up having a punt. We get all the way out to near midfield and and we punt. We got them backed up. And then we get a three and out. And we got a chance before the half. We're thinking, okay, if we can just find a way to kind of pull in here, even at the half on the road, we got to feel pretty good about life. Well, what do we do? We throw a pick six. We're at their 20, guys. It's second and five at their 20. And we throw a pick six. I, t- I take that back. He, he was – Jafonte Payton ran him down and tackled him with the two. But essentially, we gift him a touchdown. Made it 14 nothing, And that's how close this ballgame was. They didn't play well. We just played worse. One bad break on defense and then a pick – you know, an, a stupid pick – it's a 14-0 game, and it still felt like we were okay. It still felt like we had a shot. Because, again, we give the defense a short end of the field. It's a two-yard line after the interception. And it's like the defense, outside of one play in the first half, kind of dominated the game. So you felt like even at 14-0, we got a shot. Well, then we absolutely could do absolutely nothing offensively after this. You know, we go three and out. I think we actually uh, went for it on our. Yeah, we did. We went for it on our our thirty four, and didn't make it. And then we we get the ball right back. You know, Fred Peters comes up with the fumble recovery. We're putting a drive together. We get out near midfield. What happens? Pick. Interception. Interception. Get the ball back. Can't do anything with it. Get another punt. They go down, and uh, we get them hemmed up here. And I still don't quite understand how some of this stuff works. But um, we get the safety. We get the safety. That's when they had the – they snapped the ball over his head. And he kicked out of back of the end zone. So we get the safety. And then we get a chance – you know, we get the ball back. It's like it's 14 to 2. We're still two scores down. But you think, okay, maybe that will get us going. No, no, it didn't. We get a great punt from Tucker Day, the highlight of the day. Tucker Day, 66-yard punt. Gets him down to the two. You're thinking, well, the defense is playing. We can get good field position. Well, we do. We do get good field position. And uh, we're, we're kind of rounding down to the end of the third quarter where Rodgers is in the ballgame. And uh, Kylan Hill couldn't get anything done. Complete to Kylan, complete to Kylan, incomplete here. And then um, – we complete to Austin Williams. It brings up a, a you know a, a first down. So it's like we're in plus territory about the end of the red zone, and you think, okay, if we can just get on the, get a touchdown here, we're in this thing. Get a stop. Anything happens, we throw a pick. We throw a pick. So then you know they uh, they put some things together. 
we get a big sack, end up getting a punt, get a chance to kind of crawl back in the ball game. And again, Tucker Day with a 62-yard punt. I mean, it's, again, this is like, you know, the Tucker Day highlight reel. That's all we had working for us. Um, pretty interesting to see how this thing kind of plays out for us. Um, KJ throws another pick. You know, again, this is we're all backed up again, fighting, fighting field position. We throw a pick. It's a pick six, touchdown. Makes it 21-22. And I go back and look at this stuff over and over and over again. It drives me crazy. And even at 21-22, we start putting some things together. And we give it back-to-back sacks on third and fourth down. When the blood was in the water, Kentucky pounced. They absolutely did. They end up kicking a field goal late uh, to kind of bring the margin to it at the end. But it, we were absolutely pathetic in this ballgame. I tried to get Mike Leach talking about it a little bit, about how, you know, does it actually give you a little confidence to know that last year it really wasn't what they did to us, but it was our own inability to execute. It wasn't that they dictated terms to us. We didn't play well. Look at these numbers. KJ was 36 of 55 with four interceptions and sacked twice. And Will was 9 of 15 for 43 yards and two picks. Terry Wilson, the quarterback from Kentucky, 8 of 20 for 73 yards. That's it. And guys, they ran for 84 yards in the ballgame. 51 of that on one play from Terry Wilson. So you mean to tell me that we could give up 73 yards in the air and 84 yards on the ground and lose by three scores? Now, everybody's like, oh, look at this Kentucky defense. Guys, it was our own ineptitude that cost us this ball game. And maybe that's one of the reasons that I'm so optimistic. Of course, it's the last football game Colin Hill ever played in Mississippi State. Seven carries for 17 yards. 15 receptions for 79 yards. And then, of course, we had the little outburst after the ball game. Nobody touched the football more than Kylan Hill and K.J. Costello in the center. Malik Heath had six grabs, Austin Williams five. You know, we moved the ball around a little bit, 275 yards in the air. You think, oh, we'll see what's not a whole lot. Guys, 73 yards passing and 84 yards rushing for Kentucky. You can do the math yourself. We gave them the football game. We did. I don't care what anybody says. There's no way you can look at it. Well, no, no, no. We blew it. We did. What do you think they did? We did it. We had 18 first downs. They had 10. It's, a, it's a incredible to me to look at these numbers in hindsight. We outpassed them by 202 yards. They had 157 yards of offense. Guys, we just held Vandy to 155. Let that sink in for a second. We held Vandy to 155 yards on Saturday. We gave up 157 last year to Kentucky. You don't think we should be confident about this game? We absolutely should. It tells me that Zach Arnett's kind of got a pretty good idea what they want to do offensively. That makes sense to me. Maybe it doesn't make sense to you, but it does to me. So it's like we look at this Vandy game and say, man, the defense dominated. And Kentucky gets two more points. What's well, two more yards? But it's because of the fact that we gifted them all those touchdowns, mainly on offense. 
Guys, I mean, it's a 24-2 ball game, and they essentially had one scoring drive. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. I think we should feel good about the ball game. It's going to be here. We're going to wear the M over S on the helmets. We're going to, uh, to honor the baseball team. And we're going to feel pretty good about life. Should be a great crowd. Tickets still available. 6 p.m. kick. You need to be here. If you hadn't made plans to get here, you need to get here. I think we're going to win the ball game. I'm just going to tell you now. I think we're going to win the ball game. I think we're playing better than them right now. I think we have some confidence. And you look at it and say, you know what? Well, Steve, you know, they're six and one. They're right. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think they will get our full attention as a result. I think if I'm a Mississippi State Bulldog, and you go back and look at that film from last year, and you know what? We gave this game away. The only off, the only game in Mike Leach's career where no offensive points were scored for his team. You don't think that guy's gonna be focused? Not to mention, if you win this ball game, you know what changes for us? Everything. Everything. This fan base, our feelings about the team. Because, like, there are a lot of people that have this guarded optimism, right? Because you're thinking, oh, my gosh, we, we have to get the ball game. Whatever we do, we get the ball game. If we could just find a way to beat Kentucky or Arkansas or, or Auburn or Ole Miss and then beat Tennessee State, we know we're in the ball game, and then we're kind of back on track. We were hoping to be 7-5, and five, but if we beat Kentucky – it kind of opens up some other things for you. Beat Kentucky, and then you know you got Tennessee State in your back pocket. Well, that's six, and you, you got three more games out there. And let's say you pick off one or two of them, all of a sudden, wait a minute, you know, we're really in a lot better position than we expected to be. I think we'll probably end up around seven and five. But if you win this ball game, all of a sudden, everybody can relax a little bit. It's like everybody's kind of white knuckle this whole thing ever since we lost to Memphis in a season that we knew that it was going to be difficult to get ball eligible. We're like, oh, my gosh. And then you see Arkansas beat Texas and Texas A&M. You're thinking, oh, my gosh, we're going to get killed up there. I don't think anybody feels that way today. We still may lose up there, but I don't think anybody is nearly as high on Arkansas as they once were. It's a long season. But you win this weekend, and now all of a sudden it's like even the people that are just kind of enduring football season can begin to enjoy it. It's like, oh, man, what a relief. We know we're going to be 5-3 and three, heading down to the Final Four. We got Tennessee State in our back pocket. Can't take anybody for granted, but you know what? If we can't beat an FCS team, we don't deserve to go to a bowl game. But the reality of it is, is this is the biggest game probably the Mike Leach era at Mississippi State to date. I don't think there's any question. And of course, you win this one, then the next one gets to be really big. Because then all of a sudden, people are like, well, wait a minute, Mike Leach has kind of got this thing going a little bit. Yeah, they had a bad loss earlier in the year, but they beat AM, top 10 team. Alabama couldn't do that. State did it. Well, you beat Kentucky. Only Georgia's done that. That's not to say that State's on the level of Alabama or Georgia or A&M at this point, but the bottom line is is that we're an improving football team. And a win this weekend would be pure evidence to, to prove that. That's what's important about this weekend. It's not just the step towards bowl eligibility. It's the fact that it kind of legitimizes the path that we're on in many respects. I think we're a better football team. I think we're playing at home, and I think that we're going to be motivated probably more so than we were because of last year. And then we had some things go right for us last week. I want to share with you guys, too, if you hadn't heard already, there was no danger of Will Rogers not playing last week. Did my best to kind of share with you as things developed. Will's fine. And then a lot of the things that have kind of been rumored about his shoulder are incorrect. 
And so I want to make sure that you, I mean, I've read the stuff on social media, message boards, and, you know, it's, it's not what people have kind of suggested that it would be. You know, this, and you, I think you saw last week, you know, Will was maybe not quite 100%. Will was still really good. I think Will Rogers can be, have a big game this week. I really do. I really think he has a chance to have a big game. We'll come back on Friday and preview the rest of the weekend. Really, really slim pickings on the schedule this week. It's four games. I don't like that. Somebody screwed up somewhere. Final segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Portico. Brooks Bryan, Diamond Dog, and a guy that loves Starkville. Part of a great group of people that have brought this wonderful residential development to our neck of the woods. Starkville is a great place to live. Portico is showing you that uh, there are great places to live within the great place of Starkville. I'm going to encourage you to go check them out. Portico is a great and wonderful place. Very easy to find. You come off of 82 on 12 like you're going to campus. Your very first right is Pat Station Road. Pass over old West Point Road and boom, there you are, Portico. Go check it out yourself. Now, if you're looking to move now, Portico is probably not going to have a spot for you because phase one's all sold out. Phase two, there are three lots sold. There are building plans already picked out. Those homes are going to be built. So that's the thing, kind of the benefit for you now is saying, you know what, Steve, we didn't expect to spend Christmas in a new house anyway because the kids are still in school. Well, then you can be a part of this building process. Portico's got that great walking trail. 1.1 miles from campus. Easy access to everywhere you want to get in Starkville. And you're on the best side of campus, the quiet side, right? And that's, you know, that's why people move to Starkville, right? To be close to Mississippi State. You can be right there. Right there. Let me give you Brooks's phone number. I think it's important that you have it. Brooks is an outstanding friend. He'll be your friend, too. Give Brooks a call, 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. You'd be glad you did, man. If I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. There's no question about it. I'd, I'd want to be closer to campus. I'd want to be in a neighborhood. I love living out here in the sticks, but uh, every time i got to make that drive to town sometimes, it's, um, it's a little bit of an inconvenience. It'd be nice to be right there, right by the neighborhood market and all that stuff. And if I want to just run to campus real quick, I can, you know. Very, very convenient. Very, very convenient. Whether it be your primary residence or a ball game weekend retreat or perhaps an investment property, make Portico your next move. All right, in honor of Joe Lee Don, let's talk about the 1999 win over Kentucky. People forget how big this was for us at the time. Mississippi State 7-0 coming into the ball game. A lot of people were kind of doubting Mississippi State. Kentucky was rolling. How, how mommy had the air raid rolling. And they had beaten us in 98. You remember, we went over to Lexington, and uh, that's the year we win the West, and we should have beaten Kentucky, but Tim Kim, give Tim Couch some credit. Uh, they beat us, 37-35, I remember correctly. But uh, 99, we get them back at our place, and we played on a Thursday night uh, ESPN deal. Pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, it's one of those things, too. You know, we had the number one defense in the country and uh, really, really struggled offensively in this ballgame. You know, we, we knocked Dusty Bonner around just a little bit. But, uh, you know, we just were not in a good position most of this ballgame. And I think when you go back and look at these numbers, you know, Kentucky kind of dominated the game. You know, it's like, I guess it was, what, seven to five or six, seven to six, and um, they block a punt and then go for it, and it makes it a 12-7 game for Kentucky. And it seemed like we were chasing our tail the whole night long. That's just kind of how it felt. Um, you know, we get to 19 to 14, you know, with a Justin Griffith, uh, 
you know, touchdown and Justin Griffith, you know, Koki, man, he was incredible for us, man. He was a pro out of McGee, Mississippi. But it's 19 to 14 at halftime by Kentucky. And it just kind of felt like, you know, we're a play away. We can make some, something happen. We just struggled to make it happen, though. It was like all night long, you know, we were pretty stingy. And, of course, we give our defense a short end of the field a couple times. They end up getting a big, big, big uh, field goal to make it 22-14. And it just kind of felt like, you know, we're going to have to go go for this and go for two. Uh, James Whalen, of course, the big guy for them, had, had 11 catches for them. He was a tight end. We just simply could not cover. Absolutely could not cover. Set an NCAA record that year, receptions by a tight end. Just and, and phenomenal, phenomenal guy. But I want to take you guys to this thing. So it's – it's 22-20 late. Kentucky leads, and we have missed a field goal. We had a chance to kick a field goal, and uh, Scott Westerfield misses it. Defense holds, and so we get another shot. We get another chance at this thing. We get the ball back. Matt Wyatt has taken over for Wayne Madkin, who is injured in the ball game. Matt Wyatt, you may know him as uh, Radio Wyatt on Twitter. That's right. He actually was a quarterback and a good one. Out of Prattville, Alabama. Matt's a great guy and a great friend, man. Love Matt to death. So we get the ball with a minute 30 to go at our own 20. Why Matt's out there, and of course, Matt had let us back late in the ball game to beat Auburn. And, uh, you know, so he was, it wasn't that he was unfamiliar about these situations whatsoever. You know, Matkin was a starter, but, uh, you know, we'd had some games that year where Matt, uh, Wayne had been a little bit ineffective and, and Matt had come in. And so we come in right at the gate and we're complete to Terrell Grendel. And then a lot of that is erased. It's like there's a five-yard game, but, but Kelvin Love is flagged for a hold. So they back us up 10, makes it first and 15. And rather than panic, we go right back to Kelvin for a 20-yard gain. It makes it first and 10 at the state 40. We're working the sidelines here, and the clock is a real issue. We only have one timeout left. We're wanting to save that for the field goal attempt. So we're working sidelines. We check it down to Koki, who gets five yards and gets out of bounds. We go back to Kelvin on the next play. Kelvin Love, too. People forget this. I believe he played at Cahoma. I think he was a quarterback at Cahoma, but he was one of those guys who was an athlete playing you know, quarterback. We should have redshirted him in 98, and we absolutely should have. If he'd been back in 2000, you know, I think maybe we win the West. But, um, but the reality of it is Kelvin was a senior this year, and was a freak of an athlete with a great catch radius and could really run a little bit. It, it, to be honest with you, like when you see Kelvin ducking, running on the field out there, it looks a lot like Kelvin Love. Similar build. Uh, Kelvin obviously a little more accomplished at this point in his career. But So we're looking for Kelvin, and uh, they hit him late. We're basically kind of running the comeback concept there. And Matt puts it on him, but they just unload on Kelvin, gives us a first down. It's a P.I. And uh, – Obviously, if we stop the clock, we move the chains. And so now we're in plus territory. And then it's six yards complete to, to Koki. And he's tackled in bounds. We have to burn the final timeout. Brings up, obviously, a second and four from there for 35. And we're right there on the edge of Scott Westerfield's range. But you're beginning to think, you know what, we need to find a way to get a little bit closer here. And so uh, we – Throw it to Kelvin again on an out, and it should have been an uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty or personal foul penalty. You know, Kelvin kind of toe taps and gets out of bounds and gets absolutely unloaded on on the sidelines. We get the first down, 
at their 24 with 37 seconds left, and you're thinking, okay, we have clearly got it here. Let's just be smart. We don't have any timeouts left. And I don't know what we called here. I don't know if it was just a bad read or it was a bad play call or, or what happened. But we throw the football to Matt Butler out on the left side. We've been working the right sideline. And he is basically underneath there in cloud coverage. There's two Kentucky defenders. And they're narrowing down on him. They're going to tackle him inbounds. And Matt Butler, who was pretty highly recruited, didn't have a great career here at Mississippi State. And obviously, he catch the big touchdown pass against Auburn. Really kind of came into his own as a senior. Matt Butler makes a real heady play here. As he is going down, he purposely throws the ball out of bounds. It's incredible to think about that, right? Because, you know, if you fumble the ball out of bounds, you know, the clock stops. And Well, anyway, so in the middle of all of this, you know, we get a chance to get the kick team ready. So we got Westerfield and everybody there together because, you know, once they mark the penalty off, you know, they're going to be able to start the clock on the ready. And so they back us up. <laughs> the clock stops, obviously, you know, while we're all this craziness is going on. And so Westerfield and them run out there, and the clock's ticking down. He had plenty of time, though. I think 22 seconds is when they got out there and got, got on the field. And then Westerfield rips the 45-yard field goal. It sells to the uprights, you know, with five seconds to go. And, uh, that became, kind of became the reality of that season. You know, we always just simply found a way to win. We still had to kick off, and then, you know, Dusty Bonner and him kind of attempt, you know, kind of we, we have the little pooch kick there, and uh, Eugene Clinton picks the ball off to kind of remove all doubt in the ball game. But it was a good Kentucky team, and we were a great Mississippi State team, and uh, a team that just simply found a way. In the postgame, Scott Westerfield said, I had to redeem myself. The first one, I kind of hooked it a little bit. That's the one he missed in the fourth quarter. I knew we were going to need the kick at the end, so I was just glad I could go in there and do my job. Pretty interesting. Jackie says, when you miss a field goal and then have a chance to win a game and come back, it's a must. you got to make this one. It says a lot about him. Every week, you say your heart can't take much more of this, but you keep winning and your heart just keeps pumping. We talked this week about continuing to play for 60 minutes. The mistakes we made... We're early in the ball game, and he's correct about that. But on that final drive, Matt Wyatt, your favorite radio personality, Matt Wyatt, five of six for 53 yards, takes us all the way down the field, and um, we get the game-winning field goal. And, it, and there's a video out there you can find that it called The Year of the Comeback, and uh, this game is highlighted on there. We, we were 8-0. A lot of people didn't believe in us. Uh, we still were a good team. And we, of course, we go to Alabama and we lose in a very competitive ball game against them. But, um, you know, this was a big one for us. And because of the fact it was on national TV, it was the only game in town, a lot of people paid attention to us. And Mississippi State kind of became a very trendy pick among a lot of people. In the postgame, Hal Mommy said, I'm extremely disappointed we didn't make simple plays. We should have won this game. And you know what, Hal, maybe you should have. I think we can make an argument, too, you should didn't even belong in a ball game. Because of the fact State made some mistakes early on. You know, we, we miss a field goal, we have a punt block and that sort of stuff. And next thing you know, we basically give the you 10 points there. We were ranked number one in the country in defense. We held Kentucky to 176 yards. 176. And how mommy said they should have won the ball game. And according to the numbers here, that's 226 less than their season average. They led the SEC. So you had the nation's best defense against the SEC's most prolific offense. Mississippi State found a way to do it. Entering the ball game, State was allowing just 202 yards a game. What's interesting, too, in this ball game, we talk about making simple mistakes. Mississippi State had 19 penalties for 143 yards. 
19. Bottom line is that State won. State found a way to win this ball game. It was an ugly game in many respects. It was a grinded out game. Wasn't a finesse game. We made it kind of a street fight, which is what we were good at. And that's kind of how I see this game a little bit, too. It's interesting now that you know, how Mommy, of course, you know, him and Mike Leach, kind of the innovators of the air raid. Now we're running the air raid and then running the Julie Dunn caliber type defense. And then um, now we're getting ready to play Kentucky. And I submit to you the same thing I said earlier in the show. We blew it up there last year. I believe that your Bulldogs are going to come out and be ready to play in this ball game. And I think a lot of it's because of you. They want to come out there and play good in front of the home crowd. And also, too, you know, we had – we had a good offensive showing last weekend. We had a couple passes we wish we had back. Obviously, we had some protection issues. But all in all, it, it went pretty well. And you said, well, you know, Steve, it's Vanderbilt. Yeah, that's true. Going to be a much better team this week, and we're going to need a much better effort. But I honestly think if we can match what we showed there in the second half against Kentucky, I think we can win this ballgame. I don't think Kentucky is a team – like if we break through a little bit, like if, if, if this – if we score – in the high 20s, we're winning a football game. I just I don't think they're going to be able to consistently do that. And I think they're going to try to do some design quarterback runs, probably similar to what Louisiana Tech did. You know, do some zone read type stuff with Levis to try to get him in space and make us burn a little bit. I suspect that'll be the case. We have to stop the run, slow Rodriguez down. We did a good job of that last year, even though we lost the ball game. We did a good job of balling Rodriguez up. So we got to be able to do that and put the game in his lap. I believe we're going to win the football game. We'll talk more about that on Friday. I just think in many respects, Kentucky is not even as good as that 99 team that we had because we were so good defensively. But there were a lot of people that looked at that 99 team and said, ah, you know, are they really that good? I think people look at Kentucky kind of the same way. Are they really that good? And I think in many respects, they're a team like that 99 team that has found a way to win. But when they get into a ball game where they can't dictate terms, they lose. And that's what you saw with uh, – you know, with Georgia. But they're going to be a confident team. They're going to come in here thinking, you know what, we won this game last year. We did not allow an offensive point. And so defensively, we feel like we can play at that same level. So I expect it to be a very dirty, grinded out, in-your-face, eye-gouging type ball game. But I think in the end, having this game at home will make all the difference. If you had not done so, go to dogpilethebook.com, pre-order Dogpile. While you're there, you can get signed to Perflines copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find that at AmazonBooksAmillion.com or uh, BarnesandNoble.com, or you can order it through your local bookstore. Still getting a lot of questions about Starkville and shirts and hoodies. This is hoodie weather. I love getting hoodies. I got a new one that I'm going to break out Saturday for the game. Can't wait to wear it. One of West Hollywood's great bands of the 80s. Looking forward to wearing that. But you can get a Starkville hoodie today by going to StarkVillains.com. I'd encourage you to do so. Love seeing you guys around sporting the brand. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.